What's going on, guys? We are back. Another episode of the You Know Ball podcast. And today I am very excited to have back on a uh, second time guest now. Uh, you might know him from Liberty Ballers earlier in the season. We did an episode around the trade deadline. We have Dave Early. What's going on, Dave? What's going on, Trill? Thanks for having me back. Yeah, of course, you've, dude. You've been, Anytime. Uh, you've been crushing it lately. Thanks, bud. I appreciate that. Uh, you know, Anytime that I can get someone to come on and have a little bit of disagreement with me, especially when it comes to Ben Simmons, I have to have them on. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I've been having some of these uh, Liberty Ballers internal debates on our Slack chat, too. So, Oh, man. Is Dan Volpone in there? Because if he is, that's I know that he's he's been firmly in the opposite camp of 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 you for a while. That's that's correct. I think you've actually been on some of our Twitter threads about some of these pending issues before the playoffs started. Oh boy! All right. Well, uh, we will see. Um, you know everything that that goes down in the next few weeks. Um, right now, the only report we have is Jason Dumas from Bleacher Report, who has been plugged into the Sixers front office. He clearly has someone behind the scenes as a source. Um, he got some things right prior to the trade deadline around the time of the Ben Simmons non-trade that happened with James Harden earlier in the year. So he clearly has some credibility. He reported earlier this week that Malcolm Brogdon and a first-round pick were the basis of a deal that were off was offered to the Sixers from the Indiana Pacers. What did you think about that? uh report coming out and what what is your opinion just on that in general yeah we we saw that and we had like a quick internal discussion and i i wrote about it a little bit um i gotta buzz somebody in here i wrote about it i wasn't sure whether or not to call it a report or a rumor or whatever we ended up going with um, classic new york city folks (laughs) i wrote a i wrote a communication because i didn't know you know, it's not Woj, but it's not nothing. Yeah. So I felt like it was worth worth writing about. Um, if it's true, it makes sense. It makes sense that they might offer that, and it makes sense that the Sixers would turn it down. So it's one of those things where I think the, the logic is all there from both sides. The incentives align. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think that this leak probably came from either – Daryl Morey himself or someone close to him. Um, I think that Indiana, apparently, I know uh, a few people, Mark Schindler, who I've had on this podcast. uh, I know I follow Tony East, who's also a Pacers guy on Twitter. And they basically both said Indiana does not leak things. So they're notorious for not leaking things from their side. So this source that Jason Dumas is getting this report from is clearly coming from Philadelphia um, in an attempt to probably set a floor for the Ben Simmons market, Um, you know, saying this is what we've been offered. And, you know, obviously saying Malcolm Brogdon and a first round pick is that this year's first is that a future first. There's a lot of things that go into that because Indiana's picking in the middle of the first round this year. They actually have a pretty valuable pick in this draft. Might not be super valuable to the Sixers, but if they were to try to, you know, rebuild their asset base post Ben Simmons trade, um, Malcolm Brogdon and a first round pick isn't a bad starting 
spot. I've said on the podcast, I don't, I don't have any interest in Malcolm Brogdon. If we're le- if we're losing Ben Simmons, um, if we were able to conjure up the contracts and maybe get Malcolm Brogdon without losing Ben Simmons and our current mm-hmm. core, I would be a little bit more interested in that. I just, I like Malcolm Brogdon as a player. I just think that he he would move the needle a little bit more as a complimentary player for this team than he would as like the main guy, the main point guard. Um, I think that he's flourished in that three and D off ball role. Like he did when he was in Milwaukee a little bit better than he has as a point guard. Although he's, he's definitely gotten better at at certain things while his playmaking has gotten better. Um, Just his, his self creation in general has gotten better in Indiana, but I personally and if if it were if that were the case with the injury history and the fact that he's like three years older than Ben and like in a similar Is that all yeah I I know it seems like he's <laughs> like forty years old but yeah he's like three years older than Ben and you know he's never made an All Star team in the Eastern Conference and all this stuff I would be pretty disappointed if it was Malcolm Brogdon and a first round pick as the return for Ben Simmons that's kind of where I'm at. I mean, we're talking, you know, regardless of how I feel about Ben now as a player, um, uh, like, you know, we're talking about a guy that was almost traded for James Harden uh, with some other stuff, obviously at the beginning of the year. And, you know, he was always in conversations for these, these actual all-stars. And if you get Malcolm Brogdon in a first round pick, it would just be, obviously it would not be a good return. I don't think. Yeah. I mean, to, to think they would have, uh, very reasonably laughed at it just a handful of months ago, January, February. Right. And then, and to then be wondering, are they leaking this to set a, a floor for his value? It's like, man, how did we get here? So, <laughs> but you don't want to let any potential sunk cost get in the way of improving the team either. So you can't really think like that. Absolutely. And, and that's kind of where I'm at with it too, where it's like, I think that getting a guy like Brogdon, it's interesting because he only has one year left on his deal. So it's not like where you're trading for a guy at the beginning of a four-year deal and he has all these injury issues and blah, blah, blah. Obviously, you're not trying to think of that stuff. But like in a hypothetical situation, if Brogdon came here, things didn't work out and there were free agents that were potentially interested in joining the Sixers next year or there was some sort of trade at the deadline with a Bradley Beal, whatever – I think you'd probably just be better off keeping Ben Simmons because I think Ben Simmons could rehab his value and you would be you would be able to flip him probably for one of those players easier or flip him to a team for picks and then get said free agent next year, even though we can't really ever plan for that because we don't really get free agents. But just hypothetically speaking here, I think Ben Simmons is – more valued around the league there. There was a report today that came out that Chris Mannix had said on Bill, Bill Simmons podcast the other day, I saw something that said like Ben Simmons trade value around the league is still high according to GMs. And then I, cl- this was on uh, NBC, I believe. Yeah, I saw yeah, that. yeah. And I clicked in and I was disappointed to see that it was just Chris Mannix from on Bill Simmons podcast. And like, I listened to that episode and like, first off they were, they were basically just riffing. I mean, like it didn't strike you as like a report. No, I mean, like he said, yeah, I've talked to GMs, but it wasn't like on the record. And also on top of that, like 
within five minutes of that, he was talking about how Scott Brooks is actually a great coach. So, like, I don't really take what Chris Mannix says. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's a, a, it's not it's not gospel. It's not no, Woj. exactly. And, and and that's kind of the rules that we'll we've learned over the years. If it doesn't come from Woj, if it doesn't come from Shams, and if it's about Portland and it doesn't come from Chris Haynes, then there are definitely levels of validity to these guys. Now, Chris Mannix and Jason Dumas definitely have their own validity as reporters, but I, I think that I'm just going to wait it out and hear what ha- what happens with that when it comes to the larger national reporters. But since you don't have a ton of time today, we're going to move on from the Ben stuff just because the thing about Ben is we just spent a whole podcast talking about him last week and – Right now, I'm not sure. We don't really know what his value is like beyond that Jason Dumas report, which they turned down. I have been thinking about this a lot, and something that my, my guest last week, Brian, said was that basically he thinks there's a 50-50 shot that he starts the season next year with the Sixers. So if that is the case, there's seemingly no market for Ben or – there is a market and it's just not a good market. And then let's say Damian Lillard, Bradley Beal, all the big fish, they decide to stay with their teams for another year. And there's really no big name out there that's attainable for the Sixers. And on top of that, there isn't a maybe a more neutral move that they see as like a lateral move that they can make that might make sense for the team. What would some other moves look like? For the team. Now let's talk about it up top. The only untouchable on the whole team is Joel Embiid, obviously. Like I, I think that yeah. we can agree there's not going to be any sort of Joel Embiid trade anytime this year. You know, no. the extension talk is going to start this summer and we'll see if he signs that extension. We don't have to worry about it. Maybe next summer we could be having a, a different conversation. That's just how these things work in the NBA. I think he'll sign it. I think so too. I would. I mean, <laughs> yeah. the idea of playing this year out for the chance to get a fifth year. But if you don't make an all-NBA team, given his history, I mean, we don't even know if he's going to need knee surgery this summer yet. And he could end up playing the year thinking, I don't need it, and then realize he needs it by Christmas. So I I would just take the four-year Supermax. I think he will. I think he ultimately will, and I think that that is what Daryl Morey and the Sixers and – our fate will be tied to Joel Embiid for for better or for worse, and we'll see what yep. they can do this summer and moving forward. It seems like every summer is the most important summer. Yep. It's like, oh, this is the year, 2019. We have, you know, this is all the decisions. Now they fucked that up. Okay, well, they bounced back last year. Oh, well, okay, maybe we got this thing, and then another second round exit. So obviously, it doesn't seem as grim as pre Mori but it definitely doesn't feel great right now. And pre-Mori, yeah, pre-Mori, we were like, I kind of want Joel Embiid to get traded so I can root for him <laughs> somewhere else. He's got to get out of here. Um, and now you kind of, like, part of me is thinking that about Ben Simmons. Like, maybe maybe this just isn't good for him. Kind of reminded me, I don't know if you're a football fan, of the Sam Darnold situation. Like, maybe he's good, but it didn't work out here. They weren't really willing to go all out to accommodate him. Uh, I know that wouldn't have been easy, but I know, you know, you and I have made jokes over the years, like maybe they were just like a Mike Muscala away from at least unlocking more of him, um, stuff like that. So is it, 
is it possible that it w- a fresh start would be good? Of course. If I were Daryl Morey, would I be looking? T- would I predetermine that I'm going to trade him? No. Right, and I think that a lot of the Ben stuff that I discussed last week and stuff that we won't be discussing nearly as much today comes down to the fact that, like, yeah, maybe they could have done more for Ben Simmons, but ultimately, Joel Embiid is the best player on this team, and complimenting his skill set is more important than complimenting Ben Simmons' skill set. And when it comes down to it, when you have a point guard or whatever you want to call him, it doesn't really matter to me. He did, he did, didn't run the offense in the playoffs, so I don't, it doesn't matter if uh, down the stretch of games at least. It doesn't matter to me what you call him, whatever it is. But when you have a perimeter player or someone who wants to be a perimeter player who doesn't score shoot and score there is going to be things that you have to work around so we have to we have to always have a stretch big we have to always have a point guard and then also we have our mvp candidate center who needs to have certain things around him as well now a lot of the times those two end up playing with similar players well so maybe you go well maybe we could just replace tobias harris with someone who might fit better with Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. That is something that I want to get into today. I like Tobias. I think that Tobias, uh, you know, got a bad rap from fans. I thought he was, he was better than he showed his first year, um, his first full year with the Sixers in 2019, 2020. He showed that this year and in the playoffs, he struggled down the stretch of the Atlanta series, but I do think some of that does come back to the fundamental issues of Ben Simmons and Ben Simmons in the half court down the stretch of games. It's going to be difficult when you have a player who is essentially adding no offensive value in the half court when you don't have a player of a Damian Lillard stature of a, Trey Young stature that can essentially create these open looks for guys who can run an offense, who can maybe utilize Ben Simmons as a play finisher as opposed to an orchestrator of the offense. So when you have all three of these guys who, you know, obviously Joel is absolutely dead from carrying the offense and the defense by the end of the game, you have Ben who I think we can all agree that was not what we've seen from Ben in the past in the playoffs, but uh, just not aggressive, not willing to take the shots, scared to go to the free throw line. And then you have Tobias, who for all the things that he does well, one of the things he does not do great is create his own shot and create looks for others in crunch time. So let's start talking a little bit about Tobias because he's one of the few players on the team that actually has a tradable salary. I, I guess tradable is like a, loose term there but he's one of the guys that if you were to send out his salary you could get back positive players now where do you stand with tobias's trade value do you think that he has any trade value like i don't think he has ben simmons trade value because i think that he's already been paid a ton of money not that ben simmons has it but like he gets even more money he's older than ben you know what you're getting with tobias He's got three years left on his deal right now. So where do you stand? What do you think about Tobias's trade value? And do you think trading him would make any sense for the Sixers? Yeah. I mean, I think if I were Daryl Morey looking at this, 
I would go through the checklist. I mean, with with the Warriors getting like the seventh overall pick, I think they have more than enough stuff to try to help Steph. I don't think Steph's going anywhere. Then you turn your attention to Dame. You know, if Joel Embiid says like, please, come on, one time, I've lost Sam Hinkie, I've lost Jimmy Butler, I've lost J.J. Redick, I had to suffer through the collaborative. If he said to you, I don't want to play with Ben, you can't just ignore that. That That's why you'd be willing to maybe pony up a bunch of stuff to swap Ben for Lillard, assuming they'd be willing to. I don't know that they would. Um, and then maybe you'd be willing to swap less stuff for uh, either Levine or Beal to make that happen if they were willing. All it would probably take in, that, in those instances is like, I, I bet they're all on those pure sweat text chains and probably talking about how cool it would be to have like the pure sweat dynasty in one of these damn cities. Um, so, I, you know, I would be considering that. But after those guys where you, where you would feel like this is a change that I could see Daryl Morey making, then you feel like you're probably selling low on Ben. You know, some of the names that come up are CJ McCollum, Kemba Walker, Malcolm Brogdon. And I, and I just have a hard time seeing Daryl as the kind of guy who would trade Ben at his absolute nadir, at his lowest point. In that case, you start wondering, well, what the heck could Tobias and stuff get me? You know, um, can you turn Tobias into like, I don't, I don't know how the math works, but like Schroeder and Kuzma or something like, so, you know, maybe a guy who's, who can break down off the dribble a little bit better than Tobias had. And maybe a guy who's willing to just chuck threes a little bit more than Tobias is, um, Royce O'Neal and something like, you know, a three and D guy doesn't answer their half court creation issues that you would love Tobias to be a little bit better at. And then he's let us down both in 2019 and 2020 and now 2021. Um, but I, I wouldn't mind adding picks to him to, to make a better fit. If there's just no market for Ben that you like. So, I've heard the Jazz get thrown around there a lot as a Tobias suitor. I don't think that there's any, even a chance that that happens. My main reason is their tax bill is going to be absolutely absurd. The Rudy Gobert mm-hmm. extension kicks in. The Donovan Mitchell extension kicks in. If they have any hope of keeping Mike Conley, which apparently they want to keep Mike Conley, and they believe that he is... Part and he wants to be there, so that seems like it, it, it's just an untenable situation. And from a tax yeah, you would need Mike to want to go to Dallas or something. Yeah, you would need him to want out, and apparently that is not the case. Um, with yeah. with with him not wanting out, and even then, like paying Mitchell the max, paying Gobert the super max, and then paying Tobias Harris a max is definitely asking a lot for a team in a small market that like. I don't care about this stuff, but like they literally wouldn't make a profit if they paid that much mm. into the tax, which is like owners care about that stuff. So obviously I just don't think that that's why they I didn't have them on my list. Uh, Dallas was a team that I thought was interesting because they apparently were interested in him two summers ago when he was a free agent. But I just don't think that they have anyone even that's under contract that's worth acquiring. So... I'm like, we're not going to take back Porzingis. Like that's no, no way. And then there's really wouldn't swap Harris for Porzingis. No, not even a chance. No, I'm, yeah. and here's the thing. Like 
I think that Porzingis might be able to have his value rehabbed. And I think that maybe he can, but whatever. But like, there are so many guys that are out there that everyone keeps suggesting that just what about like Hardaway and Kleba? They're looking at sign in trades. Like the, the thing about sign in trades is that when you're doing a sign in trade, they're so rare in it. They're rare just in general. Like people talk about sign in trades, like they happen as often as regular trades, but they're the only reason that sign in trades usually exist is because a player says, I want to go here and they can't afford me. And for Tim Hardaway Jr. to do that when uh, all these other teams have cap space, including Dallas, that might just want to bring him back, then that is – and honestly, like at that point, like to me, it would probably be a neutral trade. I I might be – I might consider something like that, but like I, I guess you're viewing it as like we're getting off this contract. But then Tim Hardaway Jr. is probably going to make like $25 million on his next contract because that guy seems to oh always get goodness. overpaid. So, so – I have a few options here um, for trades that could potentially happen. Let me run through a few of them, kind of in the same idea that you have. Uh, The first one that I had up top was the Sacramento Kings. And the reason why I have the Sacramento Kings is because they have gone on record saying that they essentially want to be competitive with this core of Fox and Halliburton. And they have a few guys that they have not been willing to move off of, even though there were reports that Buddy Heald was interested in moving last year. And there were reports that they might have moved Harrison Barnes at the deadline. But my deal was essentially Tobias Harris, George Hill's salary. This this thing's a little bit, uh, but Matisse Theibel, and then you get back Harrison Barnes and Buddy Heald. So my justification here was, the Kings get the best player in the trade in Tobias Harris, and then they also get a young defensive prospect in Matisse Thibel. The Sixers get a little bit more financial flexibility with two more tradable contracts, um, both on declining deals. So they're actually going down in costs as Tobias is going up in costs. And then they get another shooter in Buddy uh, Buddy Heald and a guy who could make up you know, probably 70% of Tobias Harris's production in I mean, he shoots 10, I'm looking, 10 three-point attempts per game and hits 39% of them. Correct. Sixers could really use that. Right. Now He might not be better overall, but he also might be a better fit, probably is. Absolutely. I mean, to me, he's very much in that mold of player that the Sixers need, especially in this scenario, the, the reports that have come out about Danny Green potentially leaving the Sixers, which... Keith Pompey mentioned. We don't know if it's true or not. He said he thinks it. Yes. And he's not the kind of person who would just infer that based on something. It seemed more to me like he would have heard something that made him think that. Right. So if you're losing Danny Green, Harrison Barnes, or I'm sorry, if you're losing uh, Danny Green, then you can essentially plug Buddy Heald into his role in the starting lineup as that shooter. Obviously, he's not nearly as good of a defender as Danny is, but he's not. But what if Doc wouldn't be tempted then put him on Trey Young like he is with Green? Yeah, right. So you're, you're essentially taking away, well, that this gets us into a situation where it's like, okay, well, then you have Seth Curry and Buddy Heald potentially starting and is that tenable when you have that as your defensive backcourt? I don't know. 
As long as, long as you can stomach Kevin Herter scoring 50 a game. <laughs> yeah, so that's the situation that you're you're kind of in, is that when it comes to playoff time, you're going to have some, some weak backcourt defenders. But your frontcourt defenders are Simmons, you know, Embiid and Harrison Barnes in this situation who are all, you know, two all defensive guys and Harrison Barnes is a good defender. So you essentially are Mike, Mike O'Connor pointed out that Harrison Barnes has a lot of tricks for getting to the line that Tobias Harris just doesn't have. Yeah, he does. I think, I think Harrison Barnes is pretty good. Like, I think that he went from being one of those guys that got, got the big deal because he played for the Warriors. And then for a few years he was hated on because he was basically playing in a role that was not good for him. But if you put him in an offense, have him do, you know, he's, he's an athletic defender. He can shoot threes. Part of the reason why I think the Kings might not do this deal. One of the reasons I think they would is because they would never get a free agent on the level of even Tobias Harris, a top 50 player in the NBA. Then you go to Fox and Halliburton and you say, look, like we want to get like all-star close to all-star level guys in here to play with you. They don't get those guys. And then on top of that, you, you know, it would hurt to give up Thibault, but obviously I think that Thibel showed in the playoffs, unless his three-point percentage continues to grow over the next few years and his willingness to shoot three-pointers. Even- he's playing in the Olympics, so it doesn't seem like he's hell-bent on like changing his shooting mechanics. So you have that element of it, and then you also have the fact that like you know these three and D guys, as valuable as they can be, if they don't have any sort of off the bounce creation in the playoffs, I think that their value is a little bit lower. Like I think that the over it's always important to have these kind of guys, but like if Thibel doesn't get better at attacking closeouts, if he doesn't get better with the ball in his hands, the way that the NBA is moving, I think that you need to have like five, five guys on the floor that can capably handle the ball. Basically. I think that you're seeing yeah. a lot of that in these playoffs. And I think that right now it would be kind of a selling high on Thibault type point where he's seen. Yeah, he made second team all defense. Yeah. I would look at it similarly. I wouldn't, you know, I would I would happily shop Matisse at this point. Um, I think they did last offseason too. I think that there were reports that came out earlier in the year that they could they thought they could get a lottery level pick for him. Um, that teams were really interested in him. I think that was leaked by the front office here. Um, I think that, uh, you know, essentially what you're doing in this situation, you're trading defense for offense. You're getting more shooting and scoring around in beat and Simmons. You're, uh, you know, you're essentially getting that JJ Redick level shooter and buddy healed that will just absolutely be unconscious from three. And you're just basically taking the shooting and the scoring up to another level, um, and hoping that Embiid and Simmons can kind of make up for whatever you would lose in defense. So Matisse, Matisse had a breakout defensive year where all those issues he had in the bubble last year, you know, you couldn't poke it away from behind on Luca. Tatum just torched you no matter what you tried to do. Mm-hmm. And this year it looked like he had turned a major corner where he was not only good on ball, but he, he wasn't, we wouldn't call it gambling. He was baiting all year. Yeah. And all of that went out the window against Atlanta. I mean, he hit by far the worst plus minus on the team. And I think like my, I know some of it is they let all kinds of war go down in the paint and they call the perimeter. Like it's a a league for five-year-olds. 
and that and that did not help Matisse. But I feel like that could happen again in a year from now if he can't put the ball in the hole. Yeah, you know, that's maybe the refs thing. just see him like, if you can't score, we're just going to put you in this category in our minds of guys who don't get calls. Like, and that, and maybe that works against him. I don't know. Yeah, and I think that you know, as valuable as it is to have perimeter defense in the NBA, as uh, all that stuff, the offensive. The game is tilted towards offense now. Offensive players get all the calls. Trey, like there were so many times in that series where Trey Young would literally just sprint full speed into Matisse Thibault and catch him out of position, and it's a yeah. foul. Like that, those are the things that are 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 going to depreciate the value of a defensive first player um, yeah. in today's NBA and in the playoffs. So that was and then, and then the foul on on Herder. I think he had two fouls that might have cost us two games, right? Didn't he have one on Trey in game four that gave him the lead? Yeah, and then he had the awful call in game seven. And then the awful, you know, he hit the glowing red. It wasn't an awful call, I shouldn't say. It was an awful foul. (laughs) Awful foul, awful foul. It was a a fine call, but yeah. So that was my first idea I had. Let me run through a few more of these. Since I know that you're strapped for time, I'm just going to throw out a few and see if any stick out in your mind. Um, okay. So this one, it might seem like people are like, what the hell are you doing here? But <laughs> I like that. <laughs> but essentially this would be another financial flexibility move that might give the Sixers access to their mid-level exception. It might make it so that, uh, you know, you're essentially replacing this, uh, Tobias's offensive production with a player who can give you similar offensive production, but in a different way. So it would be Tobias Harris to the Hornets for Terry Rozier straight up. So that's one of them. Um, Another one I had here is the Cavs, Tobias and George Hill for, I don't love this one. I know that everyone, like I like Colin Sexton, but like I wouldn't do this type of deal, but it was for Kevin Love and Sexton or Tobias straight up for Torian Prince and Colin Sexton. And then let me just run through a few more here. Tobias Harris straight up for CJ McCollum or Tobias Harris and Seth Curry for CJ McCollum and Robert Covington. And then Kemba Walker for Tobias Harris. And then we'll get into the reach one I have later. What what was the Covington one? It was Covington and CJ McCollum for Tobias Harris and Seth Curry, which is similar to the one I had for Ben last week which you're just replacing Tobias with Ben. Obviously, they're different kind of players, but I was texting with Marty Teller before this, and his idea on this was essentially Portland needs – like they they have Norman Powell now. They could re-sign him. They have Damian Lillard, obviously, so they don't really need the backcourt help. They need the frontcourt help more, and Tobias could be their starting four. And if you get him as your starting four, I think obviously if you're doing the – if you're getting Seth Curry back, uh, you're replacing some of CJ's production there, and you're losing a little bit of the defensive production of Robert Covington. But Tobias has proven to be, a, I would say, a plus defender at this point, um, especially in the post. Um, and, you know, he still struggles with certain things, but I don't think Covington's that good on ball anymore. Um, and then, so essentially, the Sixers would get back Robert Covington and CJ McCollum. Um I'm not sure about that one. I'm not even sure about a Tobias for CJ straight up deal if the Blazers would do that because of their cap situation. But that's definitely I saw a lot of I saw before Tobias had his game five and his game seven, I saw a lot of Blazers fans 
who were willing to do that because they were over CJ. CJ just did not have a good playoff. Yeah. I like I like the Rozier one. I would do Harris for Rozier. I like the um the one with CJ and Covington. I think I could be okay with that. I think it probably helps the team because you get two bombers basically and one of them can play D. Mm-hmm. Um no one can shoot as well as Seth, but we saw Seth give up a lot of a lot of his points back in games two and game seven of that series. Uh, and, and Doc wasn't willing to double to help. Um, I think Daryl Morey had some quote about like, it was a version of Brett Brown's old, what swords are you willing to fall on? You know, like, do you deem it unacceptable to get posted up and scored on so that you have to have, um, now I'm filling in because I'm not quoting him anymore, but <laughs> so you have to have Dwight out there at all times, right. or are you okay getting run up and down the floor and losing that way? I think I'd rather, as Mike D'Antoni's brother famously joked, like, oh, we'd be happy if you wanted to post us up. And so the way Seth got beat was was hard to watch. Herter was hitting some tough shots, but at some point it just felt like the right thing to do to send help. Um, yeah. Covington fills in a lot of those gaps, and he also might be able to um, – upgrade over Mike Scott. So now you do have a stretch five or small ball five that they tried to do in Houston. Certainly he's improved as a rim protector over the years. I think you're seeing in these playoffs that teams tend tend to go small and that has, has worked out a lot of times. Um, you know, obviously they're different situations, but um, the only reason I think that the Sixers wouldn't do this deal is, and I said this last week is that you have Seth locked up on that cheap contract for two more years. Covington's going into the last year of his deal and will probably get a nice payday in a year. The Sixers tax situation is going to be incredibly difficult to figure out. Part of the reason why I bring up these Tobias Harris trades and these Ben Simmons trades is because I think that they will use it as a way to shed salary as opposed to bringing on more salary. Um, You know, once again, I don't care about this shit. The owners should pay whatever they have to pay to make this team a competitive team. But now they're asking for answers when we lose in the second round again. And just speaking generally, teams aren't going to go into the tax for a team that loses in the second round. Like they're just, if you're not contending for finals, that's not going to cut it for, uh, you know, especially when you're talking about the repeater tax, which makes the, the tax bill even larger. Uh, which is basically when you're paying the tax every year. So I think that what the Sixers will look to do is they'll look to shed a little bit of salary, which if you do the CJ for Tobias deal straight up, CJ makes a little bit less. He's that perimeter threat. He's a pull-up threat as a shooter. You know, the Seth and CJ fit isn't great, but you could try to spread out their minutes as much as possible um, and try to essentially go all offense and not really worry all as much about the defense, which I know would physically kill Doc Rivers, but <laughs> But you still have you still have Ben and Joel in this scenario, right? So you do. You're not gonna really suffer. I mean th- Yes, yes and no. I mean, I think that I think that the reason why the Hawks were able to get away with playing Trey Young and Lou Williams is because the Sixers are uniquely lacking ball handlers and people who can take advantage of those situations. Most- yeah, that's why I like the Rozier one. That's why I would be tempted to do the Sexton one. Mm-hmm. If, if Daryl Morey said I, I like some advanced stats that I am not seeing. I don't watch a ton of Sexton, but if he felt like there was some upside, I would trust that. Give it a shot. 
I, I like Sexton. Um, one thing that I know that Jackson Frank has talked a lot about is Sexton is the kind of guy who, if you have a good defensive in- infrastructure, which the Sixers do, and you have a lot of perimeter and like primary creation that he can be an effective player. Now we've, we've seen the Sixers in the playoffs fall short now for a few, few times now, because late in games, they do not have that primary creation that they have difficulty running the the ball out of the post and Sexton as your primary guy, same with CJ, same with Rogier, or any of these guys are not going to be your primary creators. So are you basically just, you know, moving moving one issue for another issue? Because all of the guys that I've mentioned are going to have some defensive shortcomings uh, just due to their size and the fit. If you keep Seth Curry, you know, then you have two defenders that you can essentially attack on any given possession. And other teams' rosters aren't constructed the way that the Sixers roster was constructed this year. Like, you wouldn't be able to get away with playing two horrible defenders against the Nets or against the Hawks even. So it basically comes down to this math equation in your brain. How, how many points can we score? Well, I don't think they would have a horrible defense. It would not be as good. Like our defense was not the problem at all in these last few games of the playoffs. Like it it was, no, no, they were scoring 103 points, 103. Yeah. And I've seen people say, Oh, well, you know, this is, this just proves that, you know, uh, it doesn't matter as much. And I was like, well, I think it, I think defense still does matter, but it doesn't matter if you have all these great defenders that don't bring offensive value and Ben in those last few games outside of transition was not bringing offensive value. Tobias was struggling to, to score and also isn't a defensive stalwart. Um, you know, Embiid can only do so much uh, on the offensive and defensive end, especially at his size. He's always injured. So he has a hard time staying in shape. And then on top of that, you have your best offensive perimeter player with Seth Curry. And he is a undersized guard and just like CJ McCollum, just like even, you know, Terry Rozier has had some pretty good defensive seasons, but like, just like those guys, they're going to get attacked uh, come playoff time. So I do wonder if the Sixers go, we don't want to trade one problem for another problem, but I guess that luxury can be afforded when you're shopping Ben Simmons, right? Because you're like, we know we're going to get back a good player, potentially an all-star caliber player. And we can fix those other issues that it might create with whatever we have left. But if you're trading Tobias, you know, you might not get that caliber player back, if that makes any sense, right? You you wouldn't. You'd have to. Um, I mean, for me, I still think there's a pretty large gap between the two. Even when Ben has like a, an unforgettable meltdown, he's still a helpful player. His his splits with Ben with Joel and Bede when the two of them were on with Tobias off are a lot better than when it was Joel and Tobias with Ben on the bench. I don't think anyone Trey Young was only 22 years old. I don't think anyone is ever going to do the type of job that Ben Simmons did uh, in that series. Um, you know, I the, don't, the way he I shot do, the ball. I don't disagree, but I think that there and I said this last week. I think that Tobias doesn't present a fundamental issue in the same way that Ben Simmons does. I think that Ben Simmons, as great as he is on defense, as great as he is in transition, as great as all that is, what we saw from those meltdown games is that the Sixers were essentially playing four on five in the half court. 
And yeah, all the splits are Ben and Joel play well together and blah, 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 blah. But, you know, a lot of those games were coming in the regular season. A lot of them were coming against the Wizards. And even when they were pluses, a a large amount of that was due to Joel Embiid. And a large amount of their positive net rating together is because, you know, Ben can get it out in transition and boost that a little bit. But uh, the Sixers didn't really face a great transition defense in the playoffs. And what happens when they do? When they did before, it, it didn't turn out great. And then on top of that, Ben Simmons is the best playmaker on the team. He's pretty much the only positive passer on the team. So I think that Tobias... As the third guy, if you have another a CJ McCollum, or if you have a another guy, I mean, if you could somehow figure out how to get Damian Lillard, could be an effective third guy. Obviously, you don't want to pay your third guy that much money, but that's kind of the situation that the Sixers are in right now. And I don't think that Tobias Harris, regardless of his struggles, which is pretty much just comes down to shooting variance a lot of the times and his inability to create his own shot is a fundamental issue to the Sixers' offense in the playoffs in the same way that Ben Simmons proved to be in the last few games. So that's my major disagreement there. Um, but I still think that Ben is not as bad as he showed in the last few games. So it's one of those things where, like, I think if you ask me for one playoff series, which player would I rather have on the Sixers? And we're replacing ben with a player that i know is better than a player that we can get back for tobias i think i would go with tobias and the only reason i say that is because i know we can get back real value for ben simmons yeah i get i would have to hear the specifics to know if i agree or not i I think if you told me daryl didn't like the returns for ben and they did almost nothing this offseason um but you changed the coach to a coach i felt good about I would be okay with that offseason. Um, I, I know we talked a little bit about luxury tax, and it might just be a no-go. Um, paying the luxury tax might preclude them saying, uh, we're not going to let you change coaches because then we'd be paying Brett Brown, Doc Rivers, and whoever you want now, right. and the luxury tax, and maybe Daryl's choosing between some of those things, and I'm going to make it work with Doc. But I don't think there was any discord between the two of them. But I don't think they worked as a partnership in year one. I think, you know, those times that, that Daryl would get up there and talk, he would always talk about, well, we could do some up-tempo things when Embiid sits. Uh, we can try some small ball stuff. And we just didn't really see Doc doing that. And you, you wonder, like, was, was Daryl being too trusting? Because you tweeted stuff like, as long as they don't do all bench lineups ever again, and then that cost them a game. I mean, they were like a... a Minus nine, two and a half minutes in game one. Yeah. Uh, we saw that again, like three more games, all bench lineups. Absolutely. Uh, the combination of some of their rotations, the, the Tobias-Dwight lineups, I thought were predictably uh, regressive on defense. They looked great in the offseason, uh, in the regular season defensively, and they looked awful in the playoffs defensively. And I don't think that was a surprise at all. Um, so if you could just sort of optimize this clunky version or whatever you want to call it version of the Sixers, that would be a big upgrade to me without going into some of these trades that we, even you and I would be confused about whether or not we're better. Um, I don't think it's going to happen at all, but no, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm out on doc already. Basically, <laughs> Like I don't yeah. think that he's a good playoff coach. Um, I don't think that, uh, 
he is going to optimize the talent that's on the roster currently based on everything you just said, based on everything I've said on the podcast. Uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not dis- in a di- in disagreement there, but I also think that like, you know, having a player like Ben Simmons, not being able to play with the traditional center due to his lack of shooting is makes constructing a roster with three max players or even just two max players. Like it, it, it doesn't make it easy. Usually you can split up your two best players and you can, you know, kind of live with whatever the results are. Um, you know, we've seen this time and time again, like Brett Brown did the same thing. Like Brett didn't try Ben at the five, like, you know, he put Greg Monroe there. There is, there must be a reason for this. Like, I, I think that obviously Ben not being a great rim protector is part of that. I think that part of it is the fact that uh, coaches don't believe in just like basically just like punting on defense, uh, essentially. And, um, you know, I, I have a hard time gonna- figuring out why like two straight coaching staffs have had the same issue when it seems like, you know, at least we saw at times that it could work, but like also it was against the fucking Washington Wizards. (laughs) Yeah, well, I think that what they did with the Wizards was at least illustrate that there's a way to do this. And, I mean, the starting five would often get rocked against Atlanta because you're swapping Korkmaz in for Green. I think they could have continued to do some of those small ball looks against Atlanta if they had green. Um, I don't disagree. No I said that. Reason, if for no other reason, Doc would give it a shot. I mean, he, he had just seen it work in game five for the closeout. I would have tried it a little bit more. I think he tried it for five total minutes against Atlanta. Um, yeah. But there's this part of me that's just thinking as bad as Mike Scott is, as bad as Tolliver might have been, um, that they could have just avoided those like minus 14 games from Dwight. And that way you at least have Harris and Ben out there at the same time for all your non-Joel and lead minutes. And I do deep down believe they would have advanced despite any offensive meltdowns from Ben. Um, if they had just done that, they would have bled less. And I think there's also a good chance they might have avoided at least some of his confidence meltdown because he wasn't getting those looks. You know, you ever play two-on-two? You're playing with someone you know is like really, really good. You just take, you just don't take shots. That you know you can shoot. He, he's kind of like that when Embiid's out there. He will give you much more when Embiid's not out there, for better or for worse. Simmons, I'm talking about right? Um, yeah, a, a, a lot of a lot of this, like I don't know. I'm kind of split on it because it's like I don't disagree, but also like the 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 absolute like most important possession of that game, you have a chance to go up two, you have a wide open dunk and you're passing it to the worst offensive player on the team. <laughs> and he then draws the foul. Like, yeah, you can't, you can't defend that. Um, but that's the thing. It's like about like the, the optimization of oh, what's the best play. Like, all right, let's let the offense run through Joel. Let's let like all this stuff happen. You know, I think conceptually, if we were to move away from Ben Simmons in a half court, is it possible to do Embiid plus shooters and maybe guys that might be a little bit more capable of ball handlers and not have to worry about the same things that you have to worry about with Ben Simmons where he's standing in the dunker spot when he doesn't have the ball 
And when he's standing in the dunker spot, that makes the double team one rotation away. It makes it so that you can jump the passing lanes. It makes it for, for all these things that you might not have these same fundamental issues. And like, you know, as great as the defense is, and as great as all the other stuff is, is like, is, is the fundamental issue of that in a playoff setting can you overcome that? Because now we've seen three different series where it seems like, you know, obviously it's not all their fault. As you said, like the bench lineups were a disaster. The, co- the coaching could have been better. There were all these little things that was, you know, essentially added up to this massive meltdown. But like when they're supposed to be, when he's supposed to be your second best player, like these flaws in his game don't seem to be going away overnight, if that makes any sense. It does make sense. And I agree. And I think um, we kind of saw the, not that I predicted any of this, but we kind of saw the perfect storm happen that might have led to something like this. I mean, he started he started slow, but then he got hot, and then he might have got hurt, and then he might have had a family scandal. Who knows how much that weighed on him emotionally. Um, but for whatever it was, after the All-Star break, Joel got hurt. He started just being like a, an Alex Smith-type quarterback where he would just hand it off. Right try to try to win that way and then go hide in the dunker spot and it just felt to me this is not a championship version of this offense I mean you you want to get at least do a little bit to accommodate your second best player it was difficult for me to imagine another all-star and another team getting so little like if I had been and we've heard like guys like Bodner talk about on the Sixers beat he is a confidence-driven player can you imagine like Monty Williams not going out of his way to try to push some different buttons if he saw him struggling for a long period of time. I can't. So uh, I just, I keep like, the thing is that like, if this just happened with one coach, I would be like, I'm with you. But like, we're on the second coach now and you can, you know, like, uh, I don't think you were an anti-Brett guy. I don't think a lot of the, the Ben. I was a pro pro Brett guy. Yeah. And like, you know, Brett tried to get through to Ben in a lot of these situations, tried to encourage him to shoot one quarter three a game, which I don't even care about. I don't think that the three-point shooting is really that big a deal. Um, I think that there were a lot of things that they tried to do to get him involved in the offense when he didn't have the ball. I think that Doc Rivers showed that at the beginning of the season. But like at a certain point, it just has to be internal. And it, it can't be, it's this coach's fault, it's this it's Tobias Harris's fault. It's not, you know, the player's fault. And ultimately, I, as I said, I don't think he's as bad as he showed. I know we know that he can be better. We, he's even shown he's better in the playoffs in these quote-unquote meltdowns and other series, in the Raptors series and the Celtics series. Like, he's proven to be a more useful player that can hit free throws and, you know, do all the other things that he does. But, uh, you know, if this was a one-off outlier thing, then I would be like, that's fine. But like, we've now seen like when it comes to the playoffs, he's his value. Like we can talk about him as a top 30 player in the regular season and this really great all-star and blah, blah, blah. But like, you know, one of the reasons why I feel like we're having this conversation is because like, what is he in the playoffs? And like, if defenses know they could just essentially put like their worst defender on him and they don't have to worry about, you know, they can play Lou Williams and Trey young together um, who are two of the worst defenders in the NBA. 
then what does that do for an offense? And, you know, how can you keep up with these teams that have five guys that can shoot, pass, dribble, can do all these things? And, you know, obviously Atlanta doesn't have five guys on the court at all times, but they at least have Trey Young who can set up other guys. And the Sixers not having a path to get one of those guys is my is my big thing. Like making Ben Simmons more effective in the half court in the playoffs just takes so many resources. You have to have a backup stretch five. Well, they're not incredibly easy to acquire. Um, you know, what, what if they had asked for Mike Muscala in the uh, George Hill deal? Do you think he could have earned Doc's confidence to try it over Mike Scott? Maybe, maybe, but also like Dude, let me Mike Muscala has played like a hundred minutes in the playoffs in his career, and I think that there might be a reason for that. And like, I think that Muscala's a better think, player than Mike Scott, but like, do you think when when Daryl went out and got Tolliver? I mean, I I think it's pretty clear he he had in mind an alternative to Scott or Howard. I mean, he talked about it off and on throughout the year of uh, some Simmons-centric non-embed minutes, including Mike Scott. So I think Tolliver was at least a chance. And I wondered how Daryl took it. Did Daryl take it like fans took it when Doc came out and was like, uh, I don't know about minutes for Tolliver. What do you want me to do, bench Tobias and like, we yeah. all collectively gasped, like, no, not at all. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do yeah. not bench Tobias, bench Mike Scott, or bench Dwight Howard and try something. Experiment. Totally agree. But I also think that Anthony Tolliver was horrible <laughs> in the in the time that he showed. Like, I don't think he was maybe, any better than Mike Scott. Like, I like I I don't think that I think that the three worst rotation players on the team this year were Scott Tolliver and Dwight. Uh, and I think that. That was why I was pushing for, um, you know, Ben at the five more or Tobias at the five or whatever you want to call it. Um, but ultimately, I think that like maybe the margin was so thin in this series that like maybe Tolliver just having one good game could have swung it. Or maybe Muscala, if you get him in a trade or whatever. But like, I don't know that Doc would have played any of them no matter what. I don't know either. I think that he, but I, but I do wonder what if you had just played Mike Scott over Dwight every moment Dwight played, would you have won that series in five games? Like, I mean, I can't rule that out. We could do the what if game and say, what if you traded for Kyle Lowry at the deadline and you give Dwight and Ben more offensive utility because you essentially have someone who can set up shots and lobs and makes players that aren't quite as useful off the ball more useful off the ball. Like having what we learned, what we learned in 2019 and 2021 is that when you're at that trade deadline, you might be much, much closer to a title than it feels. Yeah. You know, they probably thought, I don't want to use assets for my ninth man. I, I might be able to get Bradley Beal and add to Joel and Ben in the offseason. Um, yeah, and so I'm going to keep that guy. And now you look back and you're like, yeah, Kyle Lowry would have won them a title. Yeah, that that is where I'm not sure he would have won them a title, but he definitely would have put them. I think that they would probably be in the finals right now, which yeah is a very unfortunate thing because I at the time I understood the logic behind saving your assets, not going all in, and all that stuff. But there were people warning us at the time, and. I can't say that I was listening to them and I totally understood what Maury was doing and why they did what they did and blah, blah, blah. But like, yeah, in retrospect, it obviously hurts. Like if you get Lowry, you get Lowry, you know, you probably, you definitely win the Hawks series. 
you probably win the Buck series. And then you're at worst in the finals. I mean, actually, at worst, you lose to the Bucks in like six or seven. And like that With a complete hindsight do over. You're over, you're paying what what Ujiri uh, wanted for Kyle, and then you're paying a little bit too much for a guy like Mike Muscala. Maybe you can right. name someone else. Yeah, or someone, yeah, I don't know. Maybe you just get a capable backup center. Maybe they throw in Aaron Baines in the trade and they're like, get rid of him and he can play five minutes for you in a playoff game or something, even yeah. though he's totally washed too. Who's the dude on Utah that can maybe shoot Niang or something? Oh, uh, yeah, Niang, yeah, yeah. Yeah, maybe you get him. I don't like, know. Like, Jermichael Green or whatever it is. Like, get a player some in this kind of mold and maybe we're talking about a whole different thing. But, like, now we didn't make that move and we're stuck in a situation where all of the upgrades that we can make moving forward will probably not be adding to this core. It will probably be removing your second or third best player in Ben Simmons and Tobias Harris and replacing them with someone who would have really helped if you were able to, you know, use them, use that expiring salary of Danny green and I like Danny Green and like, who knows, maybe if he doesn't get hurt, we win the series. Like there's all these what oh, I think we would have. Yeah, I and, think we would have. Yeah. I think Cork Ma's in those starting lineups. We, we got pummeled some games. Yep. And, you know, it, it hurts. But like, I don't think that they're they're absolutely fucked as it seemed they were a year ago. So no, right now there 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 are a few options that I have. If you if you have a little bit more time here. Um, yeah, the, the the pharmacy's closed, so I'm I'm good. Cool. We're we're, we're I was gonna run out, but <laughs> it's closed. All right. So the other option I had, other than trading Tobias Harris, we're not talking about trading Ben Simmons in this situation. We're talking more about can we cash in chips with these young players and expiring salaries that we have on the books? Now, George Hill's salary is only guaranteed for one million dollars, but he can be he can have his contract guaranteed and he will make 10 million dollars so that makes him a tradable salary anthony tolliver also in a similar situation will be could be guaranteed and make 2.7 million which was a savvy move by the front office to add that in there in case they needed any sort of filler in a move uh and then obviously the guys that you could put out there that could potentially get you back any sort of positive value in a trade would be Tyrese Maxey, Matisse Thibel, and I think Shake Milton, just because of the contract and his age and the fact that, you know, he did at least show glimpses this year. And then you have all of your picks moving forward except for 2025, which makes it so you can't trade 2024-2026, which we sent out in the uh, Danny Green Horford, Horford yeah. swap. So this, I had one trade that I could come up with here that I thought, would potentially improve the Sixers next year. I don't think that the team would do it just because of the direction that their franchise seems to be moving in. But the Pacers would get, and I'm not even sure if I would do this, but it's George Hill, Anthony Tolliver, Tyrese Maxey, and the 28th pick in this draft for Malcolm Brogdon, and then Justin Holiday, who would fit into the Danny Green 
Al Horford trade exception that was generated after that trade. The $8 million one. Right. So in this not, situation... Not the uh, James Ennis one. Yes. Yes, exactly. So yeah. <laughs> so the one that was that was created from the OKC uh, Philly swap at the draft last year, it's about $8 million. Justin Holiday has one of the better contracts in the NBA. He makes $6 million per year. He's a starter level player, 3 and D guy, really good at one of the things I've noticed when I watch him, he's very good at chasing shooters around screens, screen navigation. He's very good at. Um, so essentially, why the Pacers would do it is they get the prospect in Maxi, who you know I think that we've he showed this year, which is part of the reason why I I'm not even sure I want to get rid of him unless you're getting back a legitimate star level player. Is he showed he has a lot of that shot creation potential? He shows he can get to the rim at will. He has that very valuable skill set, um, but they, his insurance for Aaron Holiday not looking very good. True, and but the thing is, on top of that, they have to pay Aaron Holiday in a year, and they ha- they're already paying a lot of guys right now. But the Carlisle hire suggests that they're probably not going to do any sort of rebuilding moves, right? Right. It kind of sure. suggests like, yeah, we're going to go get Ben Simmons. Like we're going to get a win now type player. And this move would probably not be that because the Pacers have a history of never doing this. And why the Sixers would do it is they get two good starters who can help with their shooting and creation issues. Their tax bill would be absolutely astronomical if they added $26 million more in salary. But that's another conversation and we can worry about that at another date. So what would you think of that trade? And do you think it's realistic at all? Hill, Tolliver, Maxi, and twenty-eight for Brogdon and Holiday. Yeah, I think that, that um, I think Indiana might be like, why are we getting rid of two starters and bringing back a late first-round pick and Maxi, who could be good but also could just not be good. So, like, and then I, the I rest like is it. Filler. Yeah, I like it from the Sixers POV. I, I don't think I would do it if I were the Pacers. I think I would just roll with Brogdon. Yeah. Um, you you might be able to make it a little bit more interesting by adding in. You know, one of the picks you can trade, I don't know, 2023, 2027 or something. Mm -hmm. Um, And I might want to ask, like, can I shop that and get back to you kind of deal? Yeah. Maybe I can shop the Sixers 2027 along with pick 13 in this draft or whatever they have uh, and then just kind of go all in. So that that would make it more interesting. But as is, I don't know. George Hill return, fine. But... um, that just reminded me because you mentioned a George Hill to Sacramento. They didn't get along well. Remember that? No, they did so not. Might, might have to get a third team involved well. there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so just they paid him a ton of money and then they wanted to play Fox. And he was like, whoa, I thought I was here to play. Yeah. So that's true. And then also on top of that, you probably at that point, you don't need to include him for salary matching in that trade. I don't think you might have had to include him for salary matching because – yeah, I think that was the reason why I included him. But you might be able to include a smaller salary like Tolliver or something like that to make that type of deal work. Um, yeah, the, the George Hill to Indiana, obviously when when we acquired George Hill and I knew this and Brogdon was one of our targets, I was like, oh, well, you could sell them on that. But then obviously George Hill looked not good at all in the playoffs. So You're, you're so much more proactive and intelligent about this than me. When I heard Brogdon's name, I thought, you're going to trade Ben Simmons for Brogdon. You could have signed Brogdon over Horford. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, and now we're, now we're back in this cycle of all of the things from the 2019 offseason. We're just essentially asking for a mulligan 
on that offseason, yeah. which now has changed the trajectory of the franchise. Regardless of op- I like I don't blame them for extending Ben Simmons, but like now you have the Tobias contract. You got off the Horford deal pretty cleanly, but like now Danny Green might leave. And yeah, you only had to give up a first round pick, but like that also limits your flexibility in terms of trading future picks. And then on top of that, like oh, you yeah, said, you could have just signed Brogdon. Yeah, it's 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 massive ripple effect. Absolutely, that offseason, if they do not win a title at any point during Joel Embiid's career, it will come back to that offseason. Letting Jimmy walk, yep. you know, choosing Ben over Jimmy, taking Tobias uh, and giving him that huge deal, signing just ignore Horford. Ben, fire Brett, ignore Ben, max Jimmy, and just let the chips fall where they may. So I, I said this on here before, but like someone said a few years ago, like if you even just like traded Ben at that point with his value. Oh, yeah. And then put those pieces around Tobias, Jimmy and Embiid, like a legitimate point guard, even if you traded him for like Chris Paul or like someone yeah, who you, you might be like, you wow. could have bungled the uh, Kawhi to the Clippers deal, too. Yeah, I mean, you got Paul George. There are so many different ways that if you look at 2019 and how it has, you know, had this ripple effect and we're still here trying to deal with the ramifications of it, but decisions will be collaborative building towards consensus. Ugh. That's the lesson for all. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Well, thank God Scott O'Neill's been fired. So <laughs> we can sleep a little bit easier at night. Uh, all right. So option three here is huge George Hill's, one year left on his deal, his salary, and the 28th pick in this draft to essentially just upgrade on that George Hill spot in the rotation. So in this scenario, uh, you're making marginal upgrades. It's not ideal. Um, You know, obviously, I think that this core has shown that they probably aren't going to make a deep run into the playoffs but this is if you don't have that banner tobias deal out there and that you want to kind of keep your chips with your young guys and maybe a star ass out in the middle of next season and you can figure out a way to get that ball rolling so the three names i came up with for george hill and the 28th pick were god this is this is just the depressing part of the podcast uh you get Terrence Ross from the Magic was one of them. You get Jordan Clarkson from the Jazz, who will be looking to save a little bit of money. George Hill did play there at a certain point. They get a, they'll get a cheaper contract with the 28th pick. Clarkson's obviously coming off the Sixth Man of the Year award, um, and they're probably going to try to move Joe Ingles or Derek Favors to avoid some of the tax implica- implications there. But if they can't, I don't know. Maybe you can sell them on. You get a cheap contract with the 28th pick if you like someone there. Uh, you know, George Hill can be just seen as like expiring salary, essentially, and you get off the Clarkson deal. And then uh, after that, I have uh, Tomas Sadoransky from the Bulls, who they might just wave anyway. Like the, he's he's on a team option. They could just let him go. Um and maybe they just do it because they don't have a first round pick and they want to get a first round pick and George Hill could be like a bench guard for them or whatever. So any of those stand out or is it just who even cares? I mean, I would love, I would love to do Hill and the 28 for Clarkson. I don't think Utah would go for <laughs> no, it. Neither do I. I think you'd have to throw um, in like shake Milton and, or maybe they'd probably try to pry Maxi away from you. 
I think I might do that too. Which um, one? I would prefer to trade Shake. Obviously. <laughs> yeah, I think I think anyone would. <laughs> <laughs> I I really like Maxi. Uh, you know, I, I would trade him for Jordan Clarkson just because I. I trust Jordan Clarkson's creation ability in the half court more at this point. Um, Maxi still needs to add the shot. Clarkson has the shot at this point. True. Um, and Clarkson's the kind of guy you wouldn't necessarily commit to, you know, like Maxi, you're not going to commit to, you're not going to say he's going to get X amount of minutes, no matter what Clarkson's kind of in that bracket too, where it's like, you know, the overused term is microwave, but I, yeah, I would like him. I, I would assume Utah, is a quick to say no. Yeah. Um, the others weren't like thrilling. Um, I wonder with that 10 million, like, cause the other part of me is wondering George Hill seems like the kind of guy who might age. Well, if this was truly a thumb issue, cause his defense wasn't bad in the playoffs. True. Could that, could that wind up just working out for you? Even if it was a little bit of an overpay, maybe, maybe he gives you $7 million value just can knock down, his open threes, they didn't really use him as a spot-up shooter that much. They almost fully tethered him to Dwight until the Atlanta series, which I hated that about Doc Rivers' rotations. It felt like he did so many things up until the last moment that we were like, you'll never do that in the playoffs. Why are you doing this now? Yeah. Um, and then suddenly George found himself in with so many of the starters, and it wasn't working. I don't know if that was his thumb just because he couldn't shoot. I don't know if that was literally having zero chemistry, but if you were to keep him, there's a little bit of like, I can't even use the word upside because it pains me. It's not, but it's like maybe he can regress a little bit to his prior three year average or whatever. His normal. Yeah. His mean essentially. Yeah. His his old mean, (laughs) old guy mean. But like, yeah, I mean, you could look at it like that. I think that if anything, he'll probably be a, I would imagine unless they lose like if they lose Corkmoss Green, um, they just like obviously Mike Scott's already gone. Like if they lose Corkmoss and Green both to free agency and they losing Green would really hurt. Just like straight up losing absolutely. him, no sign and trade. Yeah, but that, that seems like it could be a reality. And like the, you know, the sign and trade thing is like, yeah, maybe he wants to go play in LA and go to the Clippers or something, and you can work something out. But like the reality is, the majority of the times you have to incentivize those things. And like, there's only like a handful of sign and trades every year. Like it's it's not super common. Like I think every time we see these trades. It's like, oh, well, you just have, like, Dennis Schroeder's a free agent, so, like, let's just do a sign-and-trade with him, or, like... Uh, you need a lot of cooperation. Brogdon going to the Pacers. Yeah, exactly. It's like, there has to be a reason to do it from both sides, and, like, if Danny Green goes and signs a $10 million contract somewhere, and you get that $10 million exception, then great. But, like, then you have the $10 million exception, the $8 million exception. You have some things to work with. But... Well, what happens if the Hornets or Knicks are like, we just want a veteran... Yes. It's from Long Island. Let's do it. <laughs> it's exactly what I'm thinking. It's like, what if the Knicks are just like, fuck it. We'll give you $15 million for a year. Come here. That would, it, yeah, that would hurt. Yeah. So then you just lose him for nothing. You have – and then essentially you have your like, you know, outside of your, your big guys and Embiid, Ben, and you're not trading Embiid. Ben and Tobias could potentially be on the block. But like who knows? How can you shift the whole team again? Like there, there's a lot of things that come into play there. But then it's like – you basically have your four starters and a bunch of young guys and then George Hill. So 
George Hill, you know, like you could do that and just view him as like an expiring salary. But then again, it's like, okay, well, we're potentially paying into the tax again to have keep this guy around. And like, if he's not contributing, like ownership's going to be like, why are we paying him $10 million? So you run the risk there essentially of getting stuck with him at the deadline like you did with Mike Scott this past time around where it's like, you know, it was great to have Mike Scott's expiring salary on the books until you couldn't even trade his expiring salary. And now you just have a wasted roster spot and $5 million of your cap wasted. So, which you have to hit on the margins is the big thing with these like teams, like the Suns hit on the margins, the Bucks hit on the margins. Like the, 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 every year when you see these teams advance deep in the playoffs, a large amount of the time they either have LeBron James and Steph or Steph Curry or Kevin Durant, or they're, they're just absolutely nailing it on the margins and sometimes both. So Clippers both. What's that? The Clippers had both. They didn't get hurt. Yeah. Like they nailed Reggie Jackson, uh, Zubach for Muscala. <laughs> they did. But the weird thing about the Clippers is that they, they whiffed on some bigger moves and, and like, like Kennard, not Kennard. Real, like Kennard, not really being a rotation player for them. Um, you know, uh, obviously the Ibaka thing, like he got hurt, like, what can you do? But I, I said yeah. this earlier in the playoffs, it was like at a certain point, the Nets and the Clippers had like $50 million worth of dead salary on their books. And they were like, you know, the Nets pushed it to overtime in game seven and the Clippers got to the conference final. Like, but that's what having that top end talent and like just having like basically taking a bunch of cracks at like, okay, we're going to try Terrence Mann. We're going to try... Bruce Brown, we're gonna like we're gonna get a bunch of guys. Good. Good. Yeah, it's and it's like you you get the the cheap salary guys who you take whether they're veterans or they're young guys, and you just take as many as possible. And I just felt like as good as Daryl did at certain things, like he didn't like he didn't have anyone that came off the bench except for the maxi game and the shake game where you were like you felt like those kind of players could have an impact on an entire series like some of these other teams had guys that would come off the bench. And I think that moving forward, all those little moves that he usually nails, like he's he can't just use one veterans minimum on Dwight Howard next year. Like he can't just look at the margins and say, well, we have all these young guys. Like he has to use those roster spots. And especially because Doc is coach and and I talked about this before, like Doc isn't going to play the young guys and like, yeah, that fucking sucks. And like, but like, that is the reality of the situation. And like, yeah, you need to know that you got to look at Doc the way you would look at Ben. Like he is what he yep. is. He's going to have his limitations. Uh, we might not get through to him. So we need, what did Kyle Newbeck, right? Like you could keep Dwight, but you might need some executive intervention on his usage. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's a perfect way to put it. Now, the last thing before we get out of here, I just want to run through a few of these, um, a few of these things that I had I tweeted before the podcast, and I said, you know, last week uh, we discussed Ben Simmons trades. Um, this week we will be not discussing Ben Simmons trades, which we obviously did anyway because that's what happens, and um, uh, we will be discussing some other moves. So. Send me your ideas and I'll talk about them on the air. So <laughs> this, the, I got some interesting responses to say the least. And I, I want to hear, uh, God damn, my, my fucking mentions were on fire. And this, I just want to show, I'm not going to name anyone by names because I don't want people to think that I'm laughing at them. 
Um, but there are some certainly interesting trades in here uh, that I think that everyone will uh, get a kick out of. Um, okay, so the first trade that I had up here was uh, the uh, God damn, this one was all over the place. Tobias, Seth, and the Sixers 2027 first round pick to Utah. Gobert and Shake to Golden State. Wiggins, Wiseman, Maxi, both Golden State picks this year. And the Sixers 20, uh, 2023 to Washington. And then Bradley Beal to the Sixers. <laughs> okay, so the Sixers get Beal and they're giving up to Harris, Seth, Maxi, and, and Maxi, and their 2027 pick and a 2022 or something? I actually had, yeah, so 2023 and 2027. I actually had a similar trade where I said this, and, and I had it under the category of this is a reach. And it was Tobias, Maxi, Thibel, like maybe Seth was included in there. I don't know. And then basically every pick and swap we can get for Beal. Because I just don't think that Washington's going to be interested in Tobias Harris being the centerpiece of a return for Beal. Uh, I don't know how Rudy Gobert got involved in this trade, but he apparently will be playing with Draymond Green. Golden State (laughs) could have drafted Gobert. They uh, they traded up and took Nemanja Nesterovic or something instead. Oh wow! I didn't even know that. I didn't even remember that. When they were when the ownership group was new, they were like wheeling and dealing. I think it was Bob Myers, and they like traded up and then they traded back a little bit. They could have taken like Gobert or Roberson, but they took this dude Nemanja something. Well, the whole league passed on Gobert, so they're not the only. I think they. I, I think that pick was actually sold to the Jazz. It was the last mm, time that a first-round pick was sold, but it was sold from Denver to the Jazz. So, yeah, uh, I don't really know what to make of that one. Um, but if Washington's return is Wiggins, Wiseman, Maxi, Golden State, both of their picks, and the Sixers 2023, uh, I don't think they would be interested in that. Uh, maybe, maybe they're higher on Wiseman than uh, I am, but... Uh, and maybe they just want seven and 14 in this draft. I don't see Rudy Gobert playing for the Golden State Warriors next year. I'll say that much. And also, if, if Beal said, if Beal just simply indicated he wants to change, I think then they would have to think really hard about that type of deal. You know, maybe they could top it from someone else, but I mean, they I would. That's, if Beal wants to come to Philly, you make it fucking happen. Like, that's yeah. the reality of the situation that the Sixers are in now. Yeah. No, of course. I'm just looking at it from their point of view. If, yeah. if Beal indicated he wanted to leave, yeah, you might not love that deal. But what if that's the best deal that's on the table? Then maybe you start really thinking about it. But, like, in that situation, are the Sixers not willing to give up Ben Simmons? Because I guess I said, don't send any Ben Simmons trades. So this guy actually followed the rules. So I have to at least give him credit for that. But uh, it was a, certainly a, a wild trade. Um, all right, let's let's yeah. let's read off a, another one here. Oh man, I I got uh, <laughs> I got someone. Uh, my buddy Nihilus Bucks tweeted at me and he says, "I don't know if this is something you'd, you'd want to talk about because you're a Sixers pod." But I got into an argument with my friend yesterday who said if the Warriors traded for Simmons, the Warriors could run a Steph, Clay, Ben, Draymond, and Wiseman lineup. <laughs> Uh, not sure that that is going to fit in the modern NBA. Would you agree? 
I mean, anything with Steph has a chance. Um, True. And, and anything with Steph and Clay has a little bit more of a chance. Would that be their ultimate uh, optimization? Probably not, because three non-shooters but, essentially. I mean, Wiseman can shoot, but like he's not a great shooter. Yeah, I don't know much about Weissman as a prospect at this point. I think he's a big fat question mark in my mind. Um, ben and Draymond offer you plenty of defense that Steph does not, but uh, also makes the spacing a little bit wonky. Yeah, I, I, I just don't see a way that you can play Draymond Green and Ben Simmons together in the modern NBA. I just don't. Could, like, you I, could I don't. like really stagger them. Draymond's getting up there. True, but then you're paying sixty million dollars to two guys. Plus, you have Seth on, you have Steph on the supermax. You have Clay making thirty five million. Like you're paying a lot of fucking money for a team that's probably not going to win the finals. So I, I'd be I'd be tempted to sniff around and then maybe shop Draymond if that's not sacrilege there. Uh, yeah, I don't know. He was he was just first team all defense and like had them as the third best defense in the league this past year, uh, largely due to his efforts. I think that they're probably pretty content with that, but he is certainly getting up there in age. If they were to trade out him for Ben, it would be interesting to see what their defense looks like. I'll say that much. All right. Um, so this one was interesting. Matisse Thibel and the Sixers first. Okay. For Colin Sexton. So Sexton, his value around the league is apparently not very high, but if I'm Cleveland, and I'm just like, okay, so the best we can get back is the 28th pick in the draft. And Thibel, who we already talked about Thibel's limitations on this episode as a playoff player, at least. I guess if you're Cleveland, you're not as worried about that. But then you have to pair him with a Coro, who's also kind of that defensive first guy, hasn't really developed that much of an offensive game yet. Uh, it might be a little bit of a wonky fit. What do you think about that? For I, I, it's an it's an easy no if I'm Cleveland there. It's an easy yes if I'm the Sixers. <laughs> yeah, and it's not even because I love Sexton. It's just because like, what's the opportunity cost yeah. here? Thibel maybe never gets a jump shot, and I lose a defender. Okay, if I'm keeping Ben, I'm fine with that. Uh, if I'm trading Ben, I might value Thibel a little bit yes, more because now he's the only one I can. Um, but Sexton, you know, Sexton, I can't rule out that Sexton's just simply going to be good, even if he's not ever great. Yeah, that's definitely that's definitely part of it. Um, I think that I like Sexton a little bit more. I think that his ultimate destination as a player and his most optimized might be in a situation where he's that secondary off-ball scorer. Uh, he's a good shooter. Um, I think that even if he was if he was like a six man, he would be like a Jordan Clarkson, but maybe even better. So that was the only big question coming in that he would he be a good shooter? And he's shooting eighty one percent from the line, thirty seven percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he shoots a lot of four threes, and a half right? attempts. Oh, okay. Well, he shoots a decent, he's a decent pull up shooter from what I or no, he's a good shooter off the catch. I'm sorry. So he's very valuable he, in, in that role. He takes six and a half free throws a game. I don't know what that would be on a contender, but yeah. He he had a, a ridiculously high um, free throw attempt in college. So I mean, he was up there with like some like Dwayne Wade and Harden. I think. If wow. I, if I'm remembering correctly. Uh, if I had to guess, my guess is that we see a Tyler Hero for Colin Sexton swap this summer. Just throwing that out there. I know that the Heat are apparently interested in Sexton. That would hurt the Heat culture, wouldn't it? No, Sexton's like a really hard on a guy they loved. Oh, apparently there, there, there have been reports coming out of Miami that they might be out on Hero. 
Was it the boxing Instagram? <laughs> yeah, that must have been the thing that put them over the top. No, apparently he's not a great culture fit. And the uh, the th- their thing is culture. And like Sexton's like apparently a really hard worker and they and they're interested in him. So like I if I had to guess, I would say Cleveland does that because Cleveland says, well, Hero might be the best young player we can get back. We have two, He has two more years left on his rookie deal. We have to pay Sexton next year. I think that that's a possibility at least. Um, I think, yeah, I think if you're them, you're you're kind of hoping Mobley falls just so you don't have a really weird three-guard alignment. Yeah. Um, and then it leads to uh, maybe Suggs falling to Toronto. And then what the hell does that do to the Kyle Lowry sweepstakes? What would you do if you're them? Uh, the thing about the Kyle Lowry sweepstakes, and this is something that I keep talking about with sign-in trades, is like you're just not going to get much back in a sign-in trade, dude. Like you're just not like historically speaking, you do not get much back in a sign and trade unless there's some sort of mutual agreement like that, like, oh, OK, Kevin Durant wants to go there. So we'll get D'Angelo Russell back. Like you'll, you'll get these outlier things. But like if Lowry just wants to go sign in Miami, he'll just go sign in Miami if they're interested. So that's Would the end getting of that. that fourth pick make you not want to trade with Philly anymore. Because no, now you're like- I think I think that I wouldn't even. Oh, okay. Yeah, I could see what you're saying, but also you could say the same thing about Miami, and then he just goes to Miami. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. If yeah. he says trade me to Philly, they're gonna trade him to Philly. I think that they'll try to extract real value back for him. But the Sixers can ultimately, like, if the Sixers really wanted to, I don't think that they could generate that much space. But I think that they could, they could end up figuring out a way if they can just move off Ben Simmons for assets. And, or Tobias Harris for assets, they can basically generate a way to to generate enough cap space, I think, that they could just outright sign Lowry almost. Wow. But also, keep in mind, if you're trading Ben Simmons and Tobias Harris to a team, you don't want just picks back. So th- there's that no. situation as well. Like, you'd, you'd prefer to get, like, a good salary player back because that Indeed would be heads you if you just showed up with assets. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But the, the idea behind that, I guess, is that you're trying to get a crack at the superstar and you get a bunch of picks back from the Spurs or OKC or whoever, and then you're like, all right, let me – and just trade him into space – and then you're just like, all right, we want to reload, and then we'll bring in Lowry to make up for losing Ben Simmons or Tobias or whoever, and he'll kind of be the stopgap guy until we can get a Bradley Beal or a Damian Lillard, or you know, you, you'll have a better idea of what these guys' markets are and like what they'll like if they know Washington just wants to blow it up. Like, all right, well then just try to stack picks, basically. You know what yeah. I mean? And like if they, yeah. if if they're interested in that, if they want to be Washington and do the whole let's contend for the eight seed every year thing, then Ben Simmons would be more appealing to them. So there's a lot, there's a lot of moving pieces with all this stuff, but all right, let's do one more. Um, Damn. There are so many good ones. Uh, Brian, who was on the podcast last week, uh, actually sent me the idea for the Tobias Harris and CJ McCollum. Uh, Yes. Yes. Brian Tobrick. He's great. Yeah. He's fantastic. It was a great episode. Um, And then all right let's let, let's have one more here god damn there are just so many of these actually this one was interesting to me i don't think cleveland would do this and i don't even think the sixers would do it but it was the sixers get kemba walker and lou dort the Cavs get tobias harris and the thunder get kevin love and colin sexton 
Okay, the Sixers give up Harris and get Dort and who? So they get Kemba and Dort. They give up Tobias. He goes to the Cavs. And then the Cavs, uh, the OKC Thunder get Kevin Love and Colin Sexton. Hmm. I don't – all right, I have a few reasons here why I don't think – I don't even know if any of these teams would do this, and here's why. OKC, I think, is – they might be like, yeah, we'll take on Colin Sexton because we like his upside or whatever, but, like, you already have yeah. SGA, and, like, you're trading away Dort at that point, like, who's been there with SGA now, and you're like – that guy's going to be like, are we just trading away literally everyone all the time? Like, I'm never going to have <laughs> the same fucking teammates. Uh, on yeah. top of on top of get the, replaced by Colangelo's. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you're, you're thinking – uh, you know, maybe they like the upside of sex and they're willing to take on love because of that and they just want to get off the Kemba deal. Okay, maybe. that's Maybe. But then if you're Cleveland, it's like, all right, we're trading for Tobias Harris. Maybe maybe that GM's trying to save his job and he's like, Tobias is a win-now player. I can have the two – I get Jalen Green and Garland with him and then we re-sign Jared Allen and, like, that's a pretty good starting five. But, like – what is that a 30 win team though like i mean like 35 wins maybe you know i think we talked about it once wonky franchises do wonky things like sometimes they're not in to win it it's definitely true and like yeah tobias harris is better than colin sexton but like they might look at it like tobias harris makes a ton of money right now colin sexton's only making six million dollars next year what if he does what one of these atlanta players did this year which is they basically prove that they have value and it's like you know they almost traded kevin herter they almost traded cam reddish and john collins and all these guys that proved to have substantial value come playoff time and you know you might just at that point just say let's just roll the dice and see if we can keep sex until the deadline and if he's really good next year like trading for tobias harris doesn't do much for us and then the sixers uh aspect of it is we never talked about kemba but like I caught myself talking myself into Kemba earlier this week, but like, I just think that it's just such a major risk. Yeah. I mean, Toby isn't our favorite player of all time, but he's, he's on the floor. He's healthy. Yep. And, and he's, 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 healthy. he's healthy. He's a, the best avail, uh, ability is availability, right? That's what we always say. Um, yeah. <laughs> But you get you have to be good. You just have to be out there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then it's like, all right. Well, now the Sixers have Dort, Thibel, and Ben. <laughs> okay, uh, you know, you might as well get Roberson. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, Dort did show some offensive potential this year. He's still very young. He's on an amazing contract. All that stuff. But like, yeah, he's in the mid thirties from three. Like, we would love that from uh, from a couple guys on our team. From Thibel, yeah, it would be fantastic. And yeah. he's actually willing yeah. to shoot them, but he's also on a very bad team with no pressure. So, the thing about the Kemba thing is like, and I, I we brushed over this earlier. Kemba for Tobias. The Kemba thing would be a last second hail mary in attempt to save the Ben and Embiid Sixers, which I don't think will happen. But essentially, you look at it as they're pretty much making the same amount of money over the next two years. Kemba, if he can be healthy at some point, provides more of a need for the Embiid Simmons Sixers than Tobias does as that outside creator, as the guy who is willing to shoot pull-up threes and do all run, pick, and roll and do the things that the Sixers just have not have basically never had. And... You know, you're essentially hoping that it works out, and if it doesn't, then you can, you know, say he's 
he's got one less year on the deal than Tobias and you get off the Tobias deal. But I don't view Tobias as a negative player. I just like, I, I don't care about the owner's money. So like it, if it creates more flexibility for the team and you think that Kemba doesn't have these serious issues with his knee, then that's one thing. But like, I think that it's just too big of a risk and it, it, it actually fucks up your flexibility too. Uh, yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. I would value Tobias more than Kemba at this point, which is it's weird to say. Cause crazy. A year was, ago, not even at the end of the oh, bubble, yeah. if someone said to you, we could trade Tobias for Kemba. What would you say? I mean, well, when he was doing that stuff to Horford in the bubble, <laughs> right? And and I was happy to trash um, the collaborative for targeting Tobias and not Kemba at the time. Yep. I don't know if Michael Jordan wanted to trade him, but no, I know we all thought that that would have been the perfect fit to put with Jimmy, yeah, and Ben and Embiid and like another what if, right? <laughs> another what if. <laughs> all right. Well. I appreciate you coming on here, Dave. I appreciate you entertaining all my crazy thoughts and all these, all this trade shit. Um, oh, are you kidding? Always a pleasure. It, it was a blast. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, I'll put all of Dave's stuff so you can follow him on social media below. Uh, and hopefully, next time we talk, the Sixers will have uh, you know made some major moves, and we can uh, we can talk ourselves back into them. <laughs> We're not ready yet. No. <laughs> Peace. Need a little time to pass. All right. Absolutely. Peace.